and welcome. I'm Will. And I'm Alicia. This is Enter the Rabbit Hole. Each week we dive into and dissect the weird, the momentous, and the downright interesting. And today we're covering the Little Ice Age. And uh, your voice sounds like it might have gone through a Little Ice Age. Nice. That's a, that's a smooth segue. Thank you. Smoother than my gravelly tones. Uh, yeah, we... We we pushed back recording this week for a number of reasons, didn't we? Number one, we're talking about another big old beefy topic. It's one of our classic big... Big old beef. Big, big, uh, big impossible beef mm. uh, topics. And for another, uh, we're recording this on the Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And around about Friday night, a uh, tickle in my throat turned into what we think laryngitis it, yeah what we think is laryngitis um which is great because i taught all day yesterday and will teach again today i swear to god i will as everybody knows you should when your voice sounds as well does yes the doctor was like okay plenty of fluids here's some medicine could you could you teach some long classes could you shout at some children that's going to help you definitely do that Oh, and a podcast? Do lots of podcasting. All right, out you get, you scamp. And they patted me on the bum, and I was like, oh, that's strange, I never... I mean, I only paid for the meds, but thank you. So, uh, should, we, should we jump right into it? Sure. Um, if you are listening and you're liking what you're hearing, those sweet, sweet gravelly tones, go ahead and follow the show and leave us a review. Good, bad, or ugly, we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you have any ideas for future episodes, please share them with us. You can find us on etrhthepod at gmail.com or at etrhthepod on social media. I appreciate you jumping in to, mm. uh, to, help, <laughs> to help me save my voice. Although I think uh, in the long run for this episode, your, You're your, efforts, <laughs> your efforts might prove futile. Yeah, uh, but please do leave us a review, guys. Uh, we we do say good, bad, or ugly, but if you could leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be ideal. That would be the dream. Sure. Uh, yeah. If anything, if you're like, mm, I don't know, should I give it one star? Should I give it five stars? If you just don't know, then uh, five stars. Yeah. yeah. Don't be on the fence, guys. Nobody likes uh, a wishy washy willy. We we need we need strong willies. Is what we need. Hard willies. Yes. Yes, indeed. Alright, so let's dive into the frozen pond that is the Little Ice Age. Un Ice Age Beginia. Yep. See? Beautiful. Thank you. You got small, right? Mm. The Little Ice Age was a period of time between the 14th and 19th centuries, and the global temperature dropped as much as 2 degrees Celsius, or 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit. You may be shrugging to yourself, 2 degrees? That's nothing! But in practice, Two little degrees can have a devastating impact geologically, economically, and socially. According to the New Yorker, birds iced up and fell from the sky, men and women died of hypothermia, and the King of France's beard froze solid while he slept. The Little Ice Age is known for its effect on North America and Europe. And uh, that's where we'll start, I think. Yeah, Um, and I'm sure we're going to be touching on this uh, a lot throughout this episode, but two degrees Celsius if you're not already aware, is what we are currently on track to uh, encounter within the next several decades, according to recent IPCC reports. Two degrees 
according to some sources, might be the optimistic outlook for, uh, sorry, a two degree increase mm -hmm. uh, in global temperatures might be the optimistic outlook. Uh, some people are saying it could go as high as three. Uh, so I'm assuming that we'll just experience the opposite of that. So birds will just burst into flame mid-flight. President Macron will grow a beard and then that will <laughs> burst into flames as well. I was thinking he'd grow a beard and then he'd die from heat stroke because... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but some of these things are happening already. You're you're already seeing um, people succumbing to things like heat stroke. Extreme weather. Um, I think Seattle, where I'm from, had its hottest summer on record. Yeah. Um, which has, can have devastating effects, especially because in Seattle, we don't have AC. That's not a thing... <laughs> That we're used to. I know. And every summer now seems to be the hottest summer on record around the globe. And in the UK, the effect of that is tabloid newspapers with headlines like, A floor, another scorcher. People go fucking crazy because of the heat. And then you've got BBC News giving you top tips like, Put a water bottle uh, in the freezer overnight and it will make a chilly delight for you in your bed. Because British people, uh, our homes are not designed for the heat. And although we, we, you can't, you just can't please British people. We spend the entire year being like, when's the sun going to come out? Where's the sun? And then it gets sunny and we're like, oh, oh my God, I'm dying. What do I do? It's true, though. It's really true. Yeah. Um, but heat or cold, which we're talking about today, is not the only effect these temperature and climate changes have massive effects on the local weather. They have effects on crop growth, all sorts of things. Yeah. So how how did this happen? Because it's not like there are massive factories pumping pollution into the air. That's true. That's true. That wouldn't happen for another several hundred years. So how did we get here? Global warming, climate change, a deep disregard for the planet and the living things upon it? Well... That might have been a factor, but Earth does go through cycles of ice-covered snowball to ice-free zone, the most recent being 34 million years ago. Mm -hmm. On a smaller scale, we sometimes see average temperature change by less than half a degree, but the Little Ice Age showed a massive drop in the thousands of years average temperature. It's possible that there could have been a decrease in sunspots and therefore solar radiation, or an increase in volcanic eruptions, or possibly the outbreak of disease after the arrival of Columbus, which directly resulted in the deaths of 56 million people, and the Black Plague caused so many cultivated areas to return to forests that CO2 levels dropped, and thus the temperature was lowered. Short answer, not a Scooby-Doo. Uh, for, for those who don't know, what, she, what Alicia just did was uh, essentially Cockney rhyming slang. Uh, not a Scooby-Doo means she hasn't got a clue. Um, but it could be any of those things and a combination of those things. So uh, let's start with sunspots. So the Earth at that time was going through what's referred to as a solar minimal. We now, I believe, are going through more of a solar optimal. And that means increased sunspots, which are areas of increased solar activity around the surface of the sun and the byproduct of that is more heat and more light so when that is reduced obviously uh, the side effect for us is that you get colder climates you also mentioned volcanic eruptions i believe there were four major volcanic eruptions throughout the period known as the little ice age so from the 1300s through to the 1800s and 
what happens when you get one of these large-scale volcanic eruptions is you get lots of uh, shiny ash deposits uh, thrown into the higher atmosphere that then hangs in the atmosphere and creates sort of like a reverse... Like a mirror, like a reflective Yeah, surface. I was going to say like a, like a reverse greenhouse effect. Mm. Uh, solar radiation is bounced back away from the Earth. Which is what people think what happened to the dinosaurs, why mammals survived and dinosaurs didn't. Mm-hmm. Because of so much of the dust hanging in the air, dinosaurs couldn't get the heat that they needed, whereas mammals could survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you also mentioned uh, a little bit of light genocide mm. uh, after the uh, arrival of Columbus in the Americas. So it's not just Columbus, it's also uh, South America. Uh, so any of the conquistadors or the colonizers coming in and massacring native peoples caused these areas that they cultivated yeah. to turn back into forests. And as we know, forests are carbon sinks. Mm-hmm. So it draws the carbon back into the ground, which means that we're not having a greenhouse effect. Which incidentally is where it is stored for later. It does not get rid of the carbon altogether, which is why planting trees to alleviate climate change is a great idea, but can't be the only course of action and we're seeing the the reverse of that in places like siberia right now where uh, a lot of these old growth forests yeah are being taken taken out by wildfires and then where does all where's all that uh, carbon gas go yeah yeah and i think uh correct me if i'm wrong but didn't genghis khan have a similar Mm -hmm. effect uh, on climate change, he killed so many people. Well, not just him. I mean, he had, he had a little bit of help. Um, that essential and trees started to regrow, and the byproduct of that was uh, also a drop in in global temperatures. And I mean, in in our lifetime, we can certainly see effects from COVID from people not going out, not leaving their houses, and people saying, "Oh, wow," you know, like. The bay's gotten so much cleaner. Dolphins are in Venice, and nature all... is healing itself. Yeah, it's not. It's not healing, but you are uh, seeing what could happen if we were to take more care yeah. of our surroundings. CO two emissions go down. OnlyFans accounts go up. Then they talk about removing the porn, so they kind of go back down, and then they're like, "That's a terrible up, idea," though. so they go back. Servers up. are not great even though we say this on a podcast um, (laughs) that is hosted on a server, uh, servers aren't great for the environment. (laughs) No, they can be... Now we are going off on a tangent. They they can be... um, They they can be... What's the word I'm looking for here? They they can be co-opted in colder climates so that you have a source of warmth in your house. And actually, some companies, I think, will now pay people in certain parts of Europe to install servers remotely in their home and be like, okay, well... Now you don't have to worry about your gas bill because you're never going to pay for a radiator again because we're running the whole of OnlyFans through your living room. Are they paying for electricity in that case? Because what you're saving (laughs) on gas! (laughs) I don't know how, I don't know what the deal is precisely, but yeah, they they use all that uh, latent heat uh, to their their advantage. Well, uh, let's get back to the Little Ice Age. Hmm. Uh, How could we possibly know that there was a little ice age. Well, it's not like people have been keeping records of temperature for that long. 
Well, according to Encyclopedia Britannica, science, scientists use records of ancient climactic conditions such as ice cores, cores of lake sediment, and coral, and annual growth rings in trees to determine average temperatures and changes in climate. We also see records in historical documents. It wasn't the same all over. Greenland, Scandinavia, the British Isles, and Western North America all showed drops in temp, while temperatures of other regions of the world, such as eastern China and the Andes, remained relatively stable. Evidence also exists of a multi-year drought in equatorial Africa and Central and South Asia. And this is something that, that climate change deniers love to, to fall back in this false argument. When you see snowstorms across Texas in springtime, you can point to that and say, well, climate change isn't real. It's How meant could to it be get... cold? What's global warming if I it's know, cold? Exactly. So we're going to say it once, and we'll probably say it a whole bunch in this episode. Weather is not climate. So what we're talking about, even the... We're talking about the effect climate has on weather. Yeah, did you... I mean, did you notice over the past decade or so, we went from talking about global warming to climate change? Mm -hmm. Because even the term global warming is, broadly speaking, correct. And the the vast majority of science uh, scientists have now concurred that it's, it's correct. But we're not just talking about every part of the world gradually getting warmer all the time. And in another 10 years, I think we'll pivot towards talking, now we're talking about the climate emergency or the climate disaster mm-hmm. or whatever. It's being rebranded all of the time. Sure. Words are important. and They are. Like Which is why way, we do a podcast. <laughs> the way that we label things is important in the way that people view it. Because let's be honest, a lot of people don't do research into things. We do. We do a lot of research for this show. The amount of articles that I sifted through about grain prices so that I could come to you with a percentage number is incredible. I thought you were just real horny for grain. I also love grain. Yeah. Our, you should check out our cereal <laughs> cupboard. It is, wow, astounding. Um, but yeah, so we have all these different different methods that we can use to to see exactly what happened in the past. Let's talk about some of those uh, effects, shall we? Physical effects of the Little Ice Age. I, th- this is my part. I'm going to do my utmost to get through it, gang. All right. First off, so what were the physical effects of this 1 to 2 degree Celsius change? Well, as with the global climate emergency that we're currently living through, the changes were felt all over at different times of year and reflected in a variety of sudden, severe weather patterns. One of the most obvious physical manifestations of the Little Ice Age was glacier growth. In stark contrast to what we're seeing nowadays, in many mountainous and northern-lying regions in Europe, glaciers expanded massively over the course of a few decades. And in some reports, uh, they expanded by over a kilometre or more. This spelled bad news for those living in their proximity. I know, so think... Little villages and hamlets in the Swiss Alps. GTFO, because <laughs> there's a glacier coming for you. It's coming. It's coming pretty slowly, but it's coming. Yeah, <laughs> and, but seriously, I mean, if that's where you and your family have had your homestead for generations, then yeah, it might not affect you this year, but eventually it is going to affect you very badly. Writing about the effects of the Little Ice Age... Scott A. Mandia, professor of physical sciences at Suffolk County Community College, said, quote, During the post-medieval warm period, which we'll touch on later, 
glaciers in many parts of Europe began to advance. Glaciers negatively influenced almost every aspect of life for those unfortunate enough to be living in their path. Glacial advances throughout Europe destroyed farmland and caused massive flooding. On many occasions, bishops and priests were called to bless the fields and to pray that the ice stopped grinding forward. Various tax records show glaciers over the years destroying whole towns caught in their path. He then goes on to list a number of instances over a 200-year span across Europe in which glacial advancement resulted in flooding, destroying farmland and villages, and leading to a population decline in some areas. And, as we'll see throughout this topic, locals really didn't know what to make of this. There was one report cited by the channel Legendarium uh, channel on YouTube that cited instances of Catholic priests in the French Alps being called upon to douse glaciers in holy water to drive out the devil. Suffice it to say, this did not work. You're just making the glacier bigger. You're adding to its strength. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, I mean, like, you know, if it was salt water... (laughs) Oh my god, uh, sorry, I just got an image of, of my mum every time there's a frost, like, stocking up on those big, not even, like, uh, packets salt? of salt. Yeah, like, those big old tins uh, of salt and just, like, fervently, like, salting every single inch of our back garden just so that nobody has an accidental slip and fall. And then your dad's like, why can't anything grow anymore? <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as though somebody has salted the earth. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they just needed to get my mom over there, just, like, out there with their house coat and slippers, just like, Hi, Olga, I see. Hi, you've got to watch yourself. Um, yeah, she would have taken care of it like that. Yeah, but imagine salt prices in the 1300s. Through the roof, <laughs> she would have crashed the economy. And this did, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but it had an effect on, uh, on salt sellers as well. Um, in that quote, the, the professor that we were talking about, Uh, referred to the medieval warm period. Is this something that you came across in your research? Yeah, so prior to the cooling period, there was, I think it was only in the span of a couple hundred years, where temperature rose, and it didn't rise as dramatically as the Little Ice Age. I think it rose by half a degree or a degree. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a massive change to go from the medieval warming period to the Little Ice Age, as you can imagine. Yeah. And it made it even more drastic. Yeah, you have this confluence of events. There is a bunch of stuff that happens in the 1300s. You have this warm period where everyone is literally making hay while the sun shines. You have um, vineyards in England, and you have a lot of... You have an increase in the population, which really drains i mean all those people are going out and farming and they're farming very intensively they're growing the same crops in the same sections of land year after year which of course is stripping all the nutrients out of the soil and then you have a series of unfortunate events not not the (laughs) not the young adult book series but um you know the you've got the black death at the beginning of the 1300s you've got mass starvation you've got a very long period of war between the english and the scots the english and the french the and english and everybody else yeah well they they had just invented football hooliganism so i i can't talk man <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Tartan army can be real friendly, but they can, they can also like do a lot of damage if they if they show up in your town. Um, so all of these things come to a head, and you've got a lot of people dying, horrible Yay. deaths. Yeah. 
Of course, all of this had a profound effect on crops and sources of food. Did you know that England used to be a wine-producing nation on a large scale? I just said that. Yeah, I, I know that there are still vineyards in the UK. Yeah. But just imagine, like, you're at the wine section in a store, and you're like, mm, Chilean, Sauvign- <laughs> Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, you know, like a French Bordeaux. Uh-huh. Oh, and English red. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, the English rose. <laughs> Bordeaux, Malbec, Birmingham. <laughs> Mmm. But yeah, I mean, like, we we have these very fixed ideas on what makes good alcohol and what makes good beer. And what we don't realize is that these things change over time because the climate in certain regions change. And then people, ultimately, this is just a result of people trying to make a bit of money by growing something. So if you happen to be in a part of the world where grapes grow particularly well for a particularly long period of the year, then guess what? Now you make wine. Sometimes it might be orange wine, and then you've got to convince bored housewives that that's what they want to... It's not. That's what Nobody they want to drink. It. Yeah, you, you, you want it. You want this orange wine. Uh, so, of course, all of this changed during the Little Ice Age, as longer winters and shorter summers reduced growing periods. Grapes need warmth and sunlight to properly mature and produce natural sugars. Without adequate sunlight, you're left with a bad case of sour grapes. Wow. Wow. I mean, come on. (laughs) That's literally what you get, sour grapes (laughs) and therefore sour wine. Uh, So this led to a widespread scarcity of what had previously been Western Europe's favourite tipple. Some vintners circumvented this problem by building more cellars in the hope that longer maturation would lead to a better flavour, and in some instances that worked. Uh, Others, however, made the switch to Europe's second favourite boozy beverage, beer. Yeah. In fact, this shift may have been the reason why the USA to this day still prefers a Bud to a Bordeaux. Lots of wordplay in here. Yeah, well, you know, what can I say? I get (laughs) bored. Uh, Although the whack of alcohol may seem like a trifling issue for us today, especially anyone who has ever successfully pulled off a dry January, this was a real issue at the time. Not only was communion wine an essential part of Catholic Mass for the millions of practitioners living in Europe, but they were also living in a part of the world where boiling water as a method of sterilization had yet to be discovered. I I don't know if you've ever heard this little factoid, and I'd be interested to revisit this and potentially debunk this. But for those who don't know, we've lived in Asia for so many years now, and what is one of the first questions that uh, Asian people will ask you when they meet you? Do, do you like to drink alcohol? Can you drink alcohol? How much alcohol can you drink? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess uh, I, I like it some. No, I don't know. I when think a lot of women, women don't really drink. At least in Taiwan and China, I found it's not very common for women to drink. Yeah. At least not not very much, mm-hmm. right? I think it's becoming more common now. But mm-hmm. um, that is very often a question if like, because we would often go out to bars with our friends and be like, oh, you drink? Like, yeah, man. <laughs> and then people then try and drink with you competitively, and you're like, I, you know, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to wind down after a long week. And uh, there, there's this kind of fascination because, traditionally speaking, there, there seems to be a lower alcohol tolerance in this part of the world, and a lot of people uh, just lack the the enzyme that allows their body to break down alcohol, and and so they are essentially allergic to it, and. I, I'm not going to say this is uh, 100% true, but the reason I heard behind it was uh, 
the people discovered boiling water for sterilizing water much earlier here than we did in the West. And so that has somehow carried over into what's and this I mean, is where it, I don't know, you know if that's true or not. I haven't done any research on that. I mm. do I do think it sounds like it could possibly be true. I mean, in Europe you would have like an ale for like a watered down ale for breakfast. Mm -hmm. Baby gin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That it's... baby's crying needs a needs a G and T. <laughs> and you still see it in parts of the world today where people can't get clean drinking water and and remedy for that has been like to create alcohol mm -hmm. yeah it's it's historically why so many people of european descent like why so many europeans drank alcohol yeah and then people are like why do you guys have such a drinking problem and it's like we're just trying to live okay uh, so as such, the only way to ensure that drinking water didn't kill you immediately via parasites or bacteria was to ferment it and allow it to kill you slowly via liver disease. Of much better. <laughs> <laughs> Mwah, chef kiss. Of course, the much larger problem was undoubtedly food scarcity. As we said earlier, population growth during the preceding medieval warm period had led to overfarming, and methods such as crop rotation had not, not yet been popularized. This meant that at the beginning of the 1300s, farmland contained fewer nutrients to support increasing crop yields. This also meant that it was easier for the thin topsoil to be swept away completely by, say, weeks of torrential rain. Oh, why would there be weeks of torrential rain? <laughs> torrential rain so heavy that apparently it, it led entire areas of pasture to just be flattened completely as though somebody had taken an iron to the entire entire farm as, as crazy as that also the reason for the dust bowl yes yes that too people always tend to think that the uk is an incredibly rainy place and it is but it's really more like a constant it's drizzle. A drizzle yeah it, it's, it's not really like rain a... <laughs> <laughs> it, there are so many words for rain and i should know this as a, a seattleite but um we proud brits <laughs> have many words for rain but only one word for love. It, it's love. Oh. Yes. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, but but this this is this is the bad rain that that really messes things up. Yep. This meant that any crops grown above the ground, essentially all European food staples of that time, could be wiped out. This resulted in widespread devastation and famine on a massive scale, such as the Great Famine of 1315, which in turn helped spread the Black Death, which resulted in the loss of somewhere between 75 to 200 million people across Eurasia and North Africa. Which in turn helped. <laughs> <laughs> the Little Ice Age. So this is what I'm talking about. It's hard to get to root causes. I think what you talk about is more like exacerbating influences throughout uh, which culminate in, in this one period of time. Which is history. I mean, you can't yeah. ever just point to one thing and be like, well, that that's the true cause. There's always several roots from the growing from the ground. There's never mm -hmm. just one. Yeah, and I think it's the thing that's really fascinating about the Little Ice Age is that it does have so many cascading effects that we still feel to this day. Um, but yeah, of course, the the result of this massive famine was that you had a lot of people, uh, the people who lived through it were uh, malnourished and as such had massively uh, reduced immune systems, which meant they were less able to fend off 
the plague. Uh, so yeah, not so not so good for them. European farmers and consumers would eventually change their attitudes towards crops grown below ground, an underground vegetable movement, if you will. Long don't 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 scoff <laughs> at my wordplay. No, it's great. I love it. It's good. Long after crops such as potatoes were brought over from the New World, although, as with most trends, it was first an exclusive item amongst monarchs and aristocrats. The, uh, the, the peasantry did not trust tuberous vegetables. Wasn't there... I don't know if this story is true or not. I know there was a story, I can't remember in which country, of a king who wanted the people to eat more potatoes, and so... Uh, at the time, only like nobles were eating them. So what he did was have soldiers stand guard around like the potato crops, mm-hmm. so that they would be more desirable, and then tell his soldiers not to do anything if people come in like at night to steal the potatoes. Yeah, yeah. I I have also heard that story. Again, I no idea if it's true. Yeah, I can't I can't claim its veracity. Uh, but it, what a guy though, eh? What a great story if it yeah. is true. My pe- most kids would be like, my people are starving. Sucks to be them. <laughs> More venison, please. But this guy is like, my people are starving. How can I trick them into not <laughs> starving? Hmm. Uh, history's first con man. Although not we- by a long shot. <laughs> Uh, Although we now think of potatoes as a boring, starchy carbohydrate that Brits are frequently warned cannot count as all five of their five a day, at the time they were very much more nutritionally rich than the staples grown across Europe. After they were first introduced en masse in Ireland, the Irish were declared the healthiest citizens on the continent. Let's just take a a second to, like, (laughs) let let that seep in. Ireland. Mm hmm. Next door neighbors to the UK um, were once upon a time called the healthiest people in all of Europe. Well, that's, when that's the bar no, is that low and you're starving to death. That is no shade on <laughs> Ireland, but Ireland, let's be real, British bodies, Irish bodies, they, they look very similar. We have some similar issues going on. Sure, you're not winning the... <laughs> yeah, it'd be the same. Look, it'd be the same if they had said, Scotland, the healthiest people in all of Europe, I'd be like, what crack are you smoking? How how are we even in the top 50? What are you talking about? Uh, so yeah, Irish people apparently, uh, because of potatoes, were uh, considered the, the healthiest people in all of Europe at the and time. And the potatoes would always do right by them. Ironically, having potatoes as the cornerstone of their diet would lead to the Irish population uh, being hit incredibly hard by, you guessed it, the potato famine in Ah, the mid-1800s. Immediately proven wrong. Mm, Which in turn would help fuel a mass exodus in places like America. And as we know, America opens refugees with open arms. Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, So again, this is what I'm talking about, this cascading, this, uh, this trickle effect. Uh, potatoes and turnips aside, the Little Ice Age would help create innumerable periods of famine throughout the centuries, and helped form the period during the 1600s known worryingly as the General Crisis Just of all Europe. over. <laughs> no, no, no specifics. Just generally we're screwed. Just people going about their day, but like generally anxious, like, uh, morning Tim, you alright? Uh, yeah, Andy. I'm not really. Mm, uh, yeah. Everything, you know, everything okay at home? Uh, I'm a general crisis. Yeah. Something specifically wrong? Can't really find a cause here. Uh, 
All right, have a good one. I'll try. Uh, these food shortages can be tracked throughout history through records of increase in food prices, especially bread, typically followed by increased taxation, which landowners typically could not afford, and often resulting in food riots. This... Yay, but not like the fun like food fights. <laughs> no, it's not like when one dickhead in the cafeteria is like food fight. Have you ever have you ever seen that in real life? Have you seen that in the wild? No, but there is a restaurant that does uh, a food fight once a day. Yeah, I think it's in Spain. Um, you pay to yeah, but those motherfuckers will like throw tomatoes at each other once a year. So yeah, and run from bulls. What are you saying? You roll cheese down a hill. <laughs> Not me specific. Okay, all right. I see what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you know what they know how to have a good time. Mm. They know how to have and a good waste time. food. Yeah, but I really hope that there's like some signage up, and you haven't like taken your elderly grandmother there for a nice brunch. Oh, doesn't that look lovely? Oh, I see you've gone for the eggs Benedict there. That's the food fight. Just a rack of lamb flying. <laughs> Smacks your grandmother in the face. Uh, she goes down like a sack of a sack of potatoes, yeah. and we're back. Uh, so, in many extreme cases, we also see patterns emerge of people eating spoiled goods and refuse, then eating domesticated animals like cats and dogs before digging up the recently interred, and then finally, cannibalism. There are widespread reports of parents either abandoning children or eating them. Perhaps more horrifying still. Uh, there are also reports of children eating parents, which has led some researchers to speculate this could be the genesis of the original Hansel and Gretel story. Possibly. Um, I don't know if you've ever read any of the original stories, but about half of them are about the dangers of Jews. Oh. <laughs> How do we always... <laughs> what? Hello and welcome to Pogromcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Will. Anytime we do a historical episode. I know. There's just certain themes that always <laughs> crop up. I always do a German accent, and and we always end up talking about anti-Semitic stuff, which aren't necessarily linked. I just want to put that out there. Um, yeah, yeah, that really sucks. And I don't know why it's scarier. Like, parents eating children, not great. Pretty terrifying. But something about kids, like, eating parents... Mummy, I, can you get my toy? It's downstairs. Oh, just go and get it. And and the little girl's, like, poured a bunch of oil on the stairs so that she could, like, break her mum's neck and then, like, jump on her back like a little wolverine. That's why you should never have kids. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> far too smart. Might eat you. Like owning a pig, it might eat you. Yeah, it's true. So if you've listened to our insectivorism episode... You know why there weren't as many insects good for eating up in the north. However, the change in climate brought a change in the range of insects and therefore spread some nasty diseases. And well, malnourished bodies aren't great at fending off pathogens, and so infections spread like wildfire in the cities full of famine-stricken refugees. Fun, fun, fun. Hey, on that fun little image, should we take an ad break? I think we should. Yeah, uh... Let's see if my voice is still here when we come back. I bet it will be! Okay!
Hey, baby, welcome back. Oh, yeah. You're listening to Little Ice Age Podcast. Really? It's, it's me, your host, <laughs> Big Willie G. Really milking. Um, oh, oh <laughs> my God, it's contagious. Oh, no. Alicia was just entertaining me off air with uh, some internet videos of uh, somebody playing Aha's Take On Me on uh, the the little dial in the front of a washing machine. Yeah. Yeah. It's not all, uh, it's not just a full-time research powerhouse over he- here at uh, Enter the Rabbit Hole. Okay. Let's talk about wood, baby. Baby, um, enough about boring stuff like people eating each other. Check out our CS for Cannibalism two-parter if you're into that kind of thing. Let's talk about something far more interesting. Wood! If you're not already aware, as you should be because we mentioned it earlier, um, one of the ways we can track the changes brought about by the Little Ice Age is through the study of tree rings, what's known as dendrochronology. Although a large part of this study revolves around cutting down trees and counting their rings to determine their age, it's a bit more complicated than that. For one thing, the visibility of the tree rings tells us about their native climate, with higher visibility denoting a more temperate environment. Also, ring density itself can outline the prevailing climate in any given year, with more densely packed rings pointing to periods of drought. Yeah, Den- densely packed rings can be um, can be a problem, definitely, as any uh, proctologist will tell you. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, a dendrochronologist is my word, not just word of the day, it might be my word of the year. And I can, like, for those who don't know, Alicia and I are, like, pub quiz aficionados, which might be, I, I just want to, like... Dr- we had our own pub quiz for a while. We did, and uh, and then we were like, fuck this, let's do a podcast. So and we then can- a fight broke out during our pub quiz. <laughs> It, I mean, you can't tease, like, okay, we weren't responsible in no way, shape, or no, form. No, it was upstairs, completely unrelated Or to any, us. yeah, yeah, of the, the patrons there responsible for the for the fight. It was just, ironically, a couple of British dudes uh, abroad who were acting like Brits, Brits abroad. abroad. Yeah, and, and literally, like, throwing glasses at the back of the bar and stuff. So that was, that was cool. But that's not the reason no, we... it was no. too far away. <laughs> Yeah, it was too. We were too far away from the pub, and so we were like, "How can we post the host a pub quiz and then get drunk at our own pub quiz and then have to make our way back?" I mean, come on, what's the point? Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take all of the trivia and we'll turn it into an hour and a half and pour it into people's ears, uh, and, and then you'll have no choice but to love us. Mm-hmm. Again, leave us a review. <laughs> Etrh the pod. Uh, so yeah, dendrochronology, I think is the, I, I could picture it coming up in like a pub quiz and me punching the fucking air and being like, <laughs> dendrochronology and then losing the point because that's not how a pub quiz mm. works. You gotta write it down first. Anyway, carry on. Uh, yeah, it may sound obvious, but trees that are hit by drought or a lack of sunlight don't grow as well as, uh, as those who get sunlight and water. It's true. Mm. Uh, humans too, I think you'll find. And both of these factors were intermittently present during the Little Ice Age. And although the entire period wasn't characterized by endless snowfall, it was generally speaking colder and wetter. For the vast majority of Europeans, for whom the only method of warmth besides snuggling up next to their spouses and or cattle, was burning wood, 
This meant higher wood consumption, and higher wood consumption meant, of course, higher wood scarcity. Yeah, and as anyone who has played Settlers of Catan will tell you, wood scarcity can be a big deal. Wood scarcity can be the kind of thing that ends friendships. And has in the past. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, this not only affected people in their homes, but also in businesses. For the inhabitants of the Austrian city of Salzburg, for example, much of their livelihood was derived from the salt mining, which gives the city its name. Wood scarcity had been a huge economic impact on them because the method of transforming salt deposits into the stuff in your kitchen cupboard is to boil it over a fire with wood. I never stopped to think how... (laughs) I sound like such an idiot. How do you get salt, Alicia? (laughs) And, uh, yeah, you can't just run out into the sea with a big net. Uh, (laughs) Run out into the sea with, like, a colander and be like, I got it, I got it. Like, that doesn't work. No, you gotta boil it. Um, So, yeah, that that was a really big problem at the time. And, 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 again, like, we tend to... Because our lives are so sanitized nowadays and so sterile, we we tend to forget, you know, salt isn't automatically in a lot of the stuff that we eat anyway. If you don't get salt in your diet, you will die. Not only that, the time period, salt was incredibly uh, valuable because it was used for um, prolonging the period of meat, like, mm. that, ed- that meat was edible for. Yeah. Hence things like salt pork. Mm-hmm. Um, so list some more things. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm getting hungry. Salted eggs. Oh no, uh, salted no, beef. madam. Okay, I'm back on board. Yeah, salted eggs. Salted will fish. You want me to never? Uh, it's it's no, it's never gonna work for me. You can get like salted egg flavored everything mm. in Taiwan. Uh, sure can. Yes, and salted egg flavored uh, crisps or chips are yeah. very popular here. But again, it's like when people come to the UK and they're like, prawn cocktail flavored crisps. Yeah, it's weird. What the <laughs> fuck is prawn cocktail flavored crisps? What's wrong with you guys? And we're like, I don't know. Sorry, this is a sidebar, but I was listening to um, the Off Menu podcast by Ed Gamble and James Acaster. And James Acaster mentioned that he didn't know that prawn cocktails were a real thing until he was in his 20s. He only knew them as flavors. Dude. I didn't know that they were a real thing. And even when I just, even when somebody explained like, oh no, it's what um, people in the 1980s had before they, before they had their dinner. Um, if they, if they were having a fancy dinner, I get, I mean, I still picture something in like a martini glass, (laughs) (laughs) literally like having a martini, but instead of having an olive or like a lemon on the side, it's a, it's a shrimp. Oh, for me, um, it's definitely something that comes in like a plastic, like tub that you like cook and like. The uh, oh, like you would take to like a picnic like or something. Oh, you would take God. to somebody's house for like, and they'd be like, "Oh, thank you." Oh, I'll hit this the with the others. <laughs> Put this in the trash. So, wood also played an understated role in history in the year of sixteen sixty six. London was experiencing an especially dry summer, and many of the timber built structures throughout the city were devoid of moisture. This essentially turned the entire city into a gargantuan box of kindling waiting for a match. A match that would come from the King's Bakery on Pudding Lane. The ensuing inferno would destroy over 13,000 homes, dozens of major businesses, and much of what had been built upon since the medieval period. This would later be known as the Great Fire of London, and would not only change the very fabric of the city, but also lead to further political and social upheavals. 
I mean, this is based on actual events. The fire, they now, I mean, it's hard to pin it down 100%, but we think that it happened on Pudding Lane. But I can't hear Pudding Lane without picturing that entire district of London being made of, like, gingerbread houses and being populated by gingerbread men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which just, in some senses, makes it all the more tragic. Those poor gingerbread men. Candy canes just, like, melted across the asphalt, which is made of, like, treacle. So the whole thing about Mrs. Mrs. O'Leary's cow is just... Not true. Oh, her kicking over a, a lantern? Yeah. I don't know, because I've now conflated in... Uh, my head is so full of trivia uh, <laughs> that I've conflated, conflated that with the Chicago fire. Oh, God, I Because don't know. wasn't that meant to be... Okay, so that so we're pretty sure it started in Pudding Lane. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but it wasn't all bad news for wood enthusiasts. <laughs> Come on, guys. Uh, especially musically-minded wood enthusiast. If you've ever wondered why Stradivarius violins are held in the same high esteem as Fabergé eggs, Ming vases, or an NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet, science may now have the answer. Stradivarius are famous among collectors and musicians for their bright, clear sounds and are considered impossible to replicate using other materials. Henry Grissino Mayer, a scientist at the University of Tennessee and climatologist Lloyd Burkle of Columbia University in New York, believes this is because of the added stress placed upon the spruce trees used to make his violins. This stress, as mentioned earlier, was likely the result of colder growth periods from 1645 to 1715, which in turn led to more dense ring formation within the trees. It's this density that gives the Stradivarius their signature sound. Yeah. So that's why you just can't make like a modern Stradivarius. It doesn't matter if you take like a shoebox and then put a hole in the top and put like a toilet roll tube in there and put like a bunch of rubber bands across it, and then you're trying to fiddle it with my kids. (laughs) (laughs) You're trying to fiddle it with like a a drinking straw. It's just it's not gonna. I'll tell you what, it doesn't sound great. Yeah, but they sure love it. Uh huh, uh huh. And the Moscow Orchestra will look at you real funny when you when you rock up to opening night with that thing. I mean, we at least nowadays know why the climate is changing so widely. How much we could do about it now? I mean... On the personal scale? (sighs) Unfortunately, like, no amount of, like, buying plastic shopping bags when you go to Tesco um, or, you know, having, like, a little compost caddy in your kitchen. All those things are great. All the, you know, all those things... You don't want to buy plastic bags. No, but it's it's the, <laughs> it's the fact that, yeah, it's the fact that you used to just get them for free and they'd be like plastic bags and they'd fucking throw a dozen that you, <laughs> They'd you be know. like, paper? No, no, no. That's not good for the environment. I don't know that I've ever seen um, paper bags in supermarkets in the UK. Oh, in the US, they were a thing. Um, yeah. QFC, Quality Food Center, they would give Not out... the fighting championship. No. Uh, I mean, they did hold... Quality fight. fighting championship. <laughs> um, they would hand out uh, paper bags. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, I think, like, the 2000s that they switched over to plastic, mainly. Yeah, and, you know, that's good because it is an example of a large-scale company taking responsibility and then giving their uh, customers the choice to, to to make better choices for the climate. However, it's kind of a drop in the bucket. And unfortunately, we're now at a stage where 
we are going to live through the effects of climate change, even if you thought of fossil fuels as like a tap that you could turn off today, we would still be seeing this cascading effect that we see sure. in the little it ice has age. To be, it has to be policy changes. And, you know, this is stuff that I'm sure most of you already know, but things like taking like a, a supermarket, forcing a supermarket to... uh get rid of all of the trash that they the packages come in. Mm -hmm. So you could bring your trash back to the supermarket because they're the ones who sold you the packaging. Um, and now they have to get rid of it. That means that the supermarket is not going to buy things with lots of packaging. So now the producers have to think of more creative ways to produce things and package things more ethically. I can also imagine just somebody like backing their car up to the front <laughs> entrance of the of the local Tesco and be like, I have got your rubbish for the end. And they just like open the back of their hatchback and a bunch of shit just pours out. And they're like, all right, I'm off. <laughs> bye bye. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we recommend, guys. Drop your dirty garbage off at uh, Asda or Tesco yeah. and let them deal with it. Uh, how about I talk about something now? Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, imagine, if you will, that you're living through the period of the Little Ice Age. Crops aren't growing. Seasonal weather patterns are fluctuating. You know that the region in which you live, where your ancestors have lived for hundreds of years, perhaps, is going through a period of change. And no one knows why. Perhaps in an effort to alleviate the suffering you see all around you, you decide to migrate to pastures new. But when you arrive at those new pastures, you find that the conditions are just as bad, if not worse, than those you left behind. It sounds like you need a good old-fashioned scapegoat. Witches! So, Women. <laughs> this is something, uh, you could probably guess what we're going to talk about, guys. We're about to talk about the Salem Witch Trials. But yeah, this happened to a lot of the, uh, the settlers in the New World, uh, Roanoke, and we talked about cannibalism in Jamestown. Again, check out our two-parter C's for cannibalism, if you can. Um, and the, uh, I was about to say the arrivers, that's not a word, the, <laughs> the, the colonists in Jamestown, unfortunately, they arrived one year before one of the the harshest winters in uh, recorded history. They didn't have any supplies. No. And guess what they ended up doing? Eating each other. And actually, one of the best accounts that we have there is, is uh, also the account that we referred back to in our cannibalism episode. So, yeah, what, what do you do when you've put your entire life on a boat and then you make this voyage for several months to arrive somewhere? And then you look at the woman who turned you down for marriage and she seems... A little bit smarter than the other women around. It's her. It's her fault. Burn her. Burn the witch. She's kind of, I don't know. I've always just thought she's like kind of into herself. Like, you know, she's just, I. she's just one of those girls. You know she what I mean? She's not like other girls. Who's that girl? Let's tie her down and burn her. No. Um, so we tend to associate accusations of witchcraft and the subsequent public trials with the Salem witch trials of the late 1600s. In turn, we tend to think of the reasons behind these trials as being religious, the will of puritanical settlers who had fled England for their conservative beliefs, the patriarchy, or perhaps even due to a fungal-induced mass hysteria. But what were these, for the most part, women? being blamed for. 
Why, any and all misfortunes that nature could bestow upon the local villagers, of course. Terrible storms, poor harvests, cows not producing milk. Nowadays, we might look to climate and surrounding environment to explain these occurrences. But bereft of scientific data, the Puritans turned on themselves. Or, in a move that would seem achingly familiar, any individuals deemed typically undesirable. Most witches tended to be women, 80% by some estimates. Many were unwed or a little bit older, and often they were the ones who lived outside of typical social circles. So, anyone who is different, uh, the local healing woman, perhaps, um, someone who doesn't fit within your societal constraints because puritanical beliefs still have huge ramifications in the U.S. to this day. I mean, look at the difference between what you can show on European TV versus what you can show on mm. American TV. You can watch uh, a man being blown apart mm. by a double-barreled shotgun um, on U.S. TV, but if you want to watch two adults expressing a consensual act of love and then inviting a third adult in to also express that act of consensual love. And perhaps their form of consensual love involves some kind of strap-on device or, you know, maybe some light BDSM. Sure, I was well, just going to mention, no-no. you know, a little bit of Prudes. female nipple, but... Oh, yeah, nipples, because everyone has nipples. Yeah, mm. that too. Whatever. Um, but yeah, it's still alive and well to this day. You know what that... Uh, reminded me actually uh, is when I mean we talk a lot about true crime podcasts we listen to true crime podcasts on on a regular basis and one of the terms that they use uh, very frequently is the idea of the less dead so serial killers targeting people who investigators are less likely to spend time chasing up on so think sex workers or people of color or people LGBTQ with disabilities exactly yeah members. because people are uh paying less attention to them whereas if you target a young attractive blonde woman that's going to that's going to raise some alarms yeah well if she's from a good family well obviously yes um so that's kind of what this re- reminded me of it's a you know i'm i'm willing to bet it's not the popular girl in class who was accused of being a witch no typically they're they would often look for something physically wrong with the person, so like a third nipple, and that could be a mole that they're like, oh, it's the devil's nipple, so that she can... They publish like a whole guide on this, and they're all like, these are teats from which the devil's imps can suckle. And it's like, dude, that's that's a bull. I mean, I mean, she probably needs to get it checked out. You but... should go to a doctor because you know you have been spending a lot of time in the sun. But um, you know, that's that's melanoma at best, uh, not the the devil's titty. Uh, so also a great name for a book, <laughs> the devil's titty. <laughs> what would it be about? Um, what wouldn't it be about? <laughs> How how to be a wanton woman? Mm-hmm. Uh, the devil's titty. Uh, ten must-have habits for today's leading CEO. Yeah. Uh, 
So we're not just talking exclusively about Salem, New England, or even the 17th century colonies. Europe saw many bouts of witch trials correspond with colder, wetter years, with its peak lasting from the 1560s to the 1660s. We also have one famous example of European witches being blamed for foul weather. In August of 1589, King James VI's bride-to-be, Princess Anne of Denmark, was travelling from her homeland to Scotland. However, the ship carrying the princess, piloted by Danish Admiral Peter Munch, was hampered in its journey across the North Sea by uncommonly fierce rain and winds, and finally made it to Scottish shores after several failed attempts to land. Admiral Munch was of the opinion that the terrible weather was the product of some honest-to-God witchcraft, and unfortunately, Princess Anne's new husband shared his opinion. An investigation was organised from King James's throne in Edinburgh, and around 70 people in total were implicated in having targeted the new Queen's entourage. The supposed ringleader was an older woman named Agnes Sampson, a well-known midwife and healer. After what we can assume were some severe torture, a confession was extracted from her. She had acted in concert with Satan to target his greatest enemy, none other than King James. Agnes was burned at the stake along with several of those whose names had been put forward. It, I know it sounds so ridiculous to us now to be like, well, I was trying to drive my car to my girlfriend's place and there was a heavy snowstorm and I know that near my girlfriend lives an old crone. She's like 45. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen her helping people. Yeah. Let's burn her. Let's burn her. And there is something about being burnt as it, like, I mean, I, you, it's very difficult to make an argument for witchcraft. Let's talk about a way in which the, this could have been slightly less bad. Let's say that you honestly, hands down, believe that some bad weather is the work of witches. And you just gotta get rid of these witches, right? And you've done the torture and you've done the confession. And now you just gotta kill the witch. There are much more humane ways to kill somebody than burning them at the stake. So there must be an element there where you're like, only, only like setting fire to this person while they're still alive will like appease the satanic forces that, you know, are working against us. And yet, when we talk about uh, Native American cultures who, you know, practice ritual sacrifice, we talk about them as though they are like these alien creatures. and like it's, Mesopotamian. Yeah. Uh, culture is not necessarily Native American. Okay, I'm sorry. But my point being, like, this is something that the people Mesoamerican, who, sorry. Mesoamerican. Yeah, these, the, this is the... Something that the colonists who arrived in the Americas witnessed and relayed back to the Europeans. And the Europeans were like, <gasps> those, those guys are the fucking savages. crazy. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, wait, that girl's a witch. Let's set fire to... You know, I mean, it's... um. Uh, it's so hypocritical. It's yeah, it's wild. It's wild. <laughs> sure, but that's that's what makes hypocrisy is that you can't see your own faults. <laughs> if you're gonna burn people alive, just come out and be honest. Be like, I do it because I really like it. I'm just. I really love the screams. I'm horny for fire and I'm horny for murder. And this is like this is like fucking Christmas Arson! for me. <laughs> yeah, just own it, girl. <laughs> Don't, don't own it. <laughs> don't, don't do that. All right, so let's take another break and, uh, you know, 
please don't accuse anyone of witchcraft uh, before we come back, all right? Unless it's like a fun accusation where you're like, can I join? <laughs> yeah, unless it's like, witchcraft, room for one more? <laughs> don't uh, mind if I do. <laughs> And welcome back. I certainly hope you weren't persecuting anyone uh, during the break and you were just making a sandwich or something. Um, speaking of burning alive, uh, oof, our little peek behind the curtain, our recording setup in our spare room, we are surrounded by blankets and and the AC cannot be on in here because it's too loud. So while Alicia records fully dressed, uh, I you routinely you should not tell people this. record in my underpants. We <laughs> oh, please don't. Not because it gives me the confidence that I need to speak into a microphone and relay facts to the people out there, but because it is the only way I can record without having heat stroke. You could keep some semblance of mystery alive. You don't need to tell the people everything. No, it's the, you know, we're living in the year 2021. People, people, people want to see everything. They don't. <laughs> in their minds. So, uh, yeah, with that in mind... <laughs> that's yeah, me let's... throwing it to you. <laughs> let's talk about another persecution. All right. While witches, or, you know, independent, intelligent, or older wise women, were certainly victims of fear-mongering, they weren't the only ones. Can you guess what other marginalized group felt the brunt of religious suspicion? Do you, do you want me to guess? <laughs> it's the Jews! <laughs> that, yep, that's what I would have guessed. Is it any surprise that Jewish holidays can be mostly summarized as, they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. And but the food is delicious. If it sure uh, is. <laughs> if that if that Passover meal was anything to go by, um, yes, I guess not that recently ago. Uh, Will has been introduced to some of my family traditions. It was, I mean, <laughs> the bit where you read from the from the from the Torah or the Talmud. That's no, a seder. Uh, yeah, where you read from that, and then you, and it's kind of like a drinking game. Like, you, you read, and then you take a drink, and you read, and you take a drink. And me and your mom's boyfriend were just, like, pff, tanked before before we'd even served food. Because all of this happens before you could eat as well, so uh, it's a winning combination. Yeah, there's lots of wine, and there's lots of some of the best food ever. Yeah, man. Lots of butter. <laughs> uh, yeah, the key ingredient... Uh, besides persecution, is butter. Mm. Mm. Okay, so for this uh, case study on the Jewish experience, I'm focusing on Germany. Historically, a great place for my people. <laughs> Let's just... Let, okay, can we... A uh, little caveat. A lot of people are terrible to a lot of other people. Mm. A lot of different groups of people, especially Europeans, have been pretty terrible to the Jews. So not just Germans, no, and but this time. <laughs> no, it's not just Germans during the Little Ice Age. Uh, the Spanish and the Portuguese, pretty much anyone in Europe hated the Jews. Mm -hmm. um, Even the Brits. <laughs> the reason 
people hated Jews so much was because Jews were forced into positions as, like, tax collectors and money lenders because those things weren't outlawed for them. In the Bible, you can't money lend, but there's nothing in the Torah that stops you from lending money. So in order for them to settle into new cities, the rules were they had to be in certain jobs and they had to be money lenders. And nobody likes a money lender. That's going to be such a tough position when you're like, oh, I'm such a raging anti-Semitic, but I really want a new sofa and I really, the bank won't give me any money. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Germany was not immune to the Little Ice Age. Some areas were hit worse than others. They saw a rise in food prices of 37% from the 1560s to 1572. And in some places, grain prices rose 400%. Severe floodings and lightning storms were seen as the manifestation of God's anger. And as Will touched on earlier, at the time, natural disasters were seen to be caused by the sins of the people. And the massive changes in climate, snowstorms, flooding, and as a result, plagues, were seen as the end of days. Imagine being uh, like a teenage boy and discovering masturbation the day before a massive storm takes out your family's farm. And you're like, oh no, oh god, it's because I touched it, isn't it? It's because of me. I'm so stressed out, I wish there was a way to deal with this quickly. Oh, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) Don't do it, Edward! He did it anyway. Mm. Okay, so Jews weren't always the scapegoat for, like, the severe weather, but plagues were often blamed on them, and this is probably because better hygiene and isolation caused them to be less affected by the disease which ravaged the cities around them. The extreme weather wasn't their fault, however, they were seen as monopolizers, i.e. lending money to the poor and therefore taking the poor prisoner. This would be like if, as a result of the hurricanes in Louisiana, everybody rounded up insurance brokers and tried to stone them to death. Mm. Yeah, so there were a lot of broadsheets at the time. That's kind of like a a newspaper. It's mostly like pictures condemning the wine Jew and the corn Jude. You know, they were really into Twisted Transistor. I mean, yeah, I noticed that corn here is spelt with a K. It's the German version, corn Jude. Sick. <laughs> um, they were like these big pictures where the Jew has like a two-face of like Janus as like a deceiver, and their body is like a wine barrel, and there's like all these little... Um, hints about different psalms and, like, the reason why Jews are the worst. Um, And all of it sounds fun, but what it amounted to was a rise in anti-Semitic violence and persecution in times when the temperature dropped drastically, or weather shocks. When you said wine Jew, um, I want to tell you that my mind didn't immediately jump to you when you're enjoying a day off. Thanks. (laughs) It didn't go there. (laughs) Immediately. But it did get there eventually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> I don't look at you and see, like, <laughs> you know, my girlfriend with a massive wine barrel body just laying on the couch, like, casually watching uh, some TV. Mm-hmm. You just try to enjoy your day off. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like, 
uh, like the witches, the witches, people are just looking for someone to blame. And who do you blame but the other that you've forced into, like, a, a position that you hate? Who are you going to blame? The Social Jews. outcasts. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's talk about uh, even even wider ramifications of the Little Ice Age. Uh, if and non-European-centric you... ones. Yeah. Um, admittedly, a lot of our sources today, taken today are from either Europe itself or European settlers in the New World. However, that's because that's where the majority of uh, English translations come from. Again, the Little Ice Age was a global phenomenon. So while you're feeling bad for the people being burned alive uh, for being not witches or for Jewish people being depicted as massive money-lending wine barrels, uh, why not spare a thought for the Emperor of China? The Ming lineage, whom you may know from their vases, ran China from 1368 to 1644. The emperor, Wan Li, would eventually lose the popular support of his people, who began questioning his mandate of heaven following a period of severe economic upheaval and natural disasters. The Portuguese had previously established a permanent trading outpost in Macau, from which to trade Japanese silver for Chinese silk. The massive influx eventually offset the value of Japanese silver against Chinese copper, causing the value of, of silver to increase dramatically. As this was the farmer's main method of paying taxes, this plunged many Chinese citizens into an economic spiral. These farmers were also feeling the effect of the Little Ice Age. In the mid-17th century, they were beset by a cycle of cold, dry weather during the growing season. This led to stunted harvests and widespread drought. In other regions of China, widespread flooding was an issue, and the central government were able to do very little to prevent the situation from worsening. So they did, they did propose flood alleviation schemes. However, I guess because China is such a massive country, um, and they weren't engaged in a singular project like building a wall or building a city, uh, it was difficult for them to do anything on a grand scale to try and deal with all these uh, kind of inter it intermittent flooding issues. Yeah, I think they also had like the the system of like the imperial. Um, scholars who would kind of travel from city to city, but you didn't have anybody kind of like overseeing a singular like small town. Mm -hmm. So you have difficulty in producing like lots of different flood alleviation schemes for lots of very disparate cities. Yeah, and it wouldn't be the first time that we've seen an example of a disconnect between uh, the denizens of large cosmopolitan cities and the rural agricultural powerhouses of big nations. Uh, and also, don't forget that they were dealing with extreme weather changes. So this wasn't a case of, well, now we have annual floods and we just have to build around that. That It could be, well, you we have know... no idea what's going to happen next. Exactly. Like, this year and next year we have floods, but then we could go through, like, a two-year period of drought. How, how, do, you, how do you plan for that? How do you deal, for, deal with that? Mass military desertion also signaled diminishing faith in the nation's rulers. Troops going AWOL was also symptomatic of a weakening military. The Chinese army were caught between starving peasants launching popular uprisings and invading Manchu hordes from the north. The Ming army would eventually fall before the invading Manchus. 
Ironically, one of the main reasons the Manchus began raiding China was to steal their plentiful resources, which they would later discover were not so plentiful. <laughs> yeah. So the they would the Manchus would eventually form the next dynasty that would rule over China. Um but you know, China didn't have the same level of resources that they did previously. Mm. All right, do you want to tell us about another non-European civilization? Yeah, so I found a really interesting article about kind of the fall of Angkor, Cambodia, which you may know for Angkor Wat, the incredible temple. So I wanted to briefly mention that the Little Ice Age probably had a hand in the fall of the city of Angkor, home to the famous temple Angkor Wat. Angkor was the largest pre-industrial city in the world and had a very complex water management system used for irrigation and to supply water to the citizens of the city. Unfortunately, this intricate system of dikes, canals, and reservoirs made it vulnerable to the Little Ice Age. Angkor relied on monsoons to provide the city with its water, but tree ring data shows that for decades during the Little Ice Age, monsoons were exceptionally weak, causing droughts and crops to fail. Sand crept into the complex workings of the waterways, and when the monsoons came back full force, the system flooded and broke. And because rarely is there only one crack in the foundation, climate change combined with a period of war and possibly a rise in Buddhism that led to the erosion of the kingship, caused the capital of the Khmer Empire to fall. Um, alright. Um, these weak monsoons might have also led to the desertification of China during the Ming Dynasty. Specifically near the Great Wall, resources were spent to slow the desertification process in order to save their defenses, but were ultimately useless and likely caused rebellions due to the government's inability to help those affected by the sudden changes. It's not the kind of desertification I like. The kind of desertification I like is um, when deserts meet gentrification and you kind of like open your eyes and all those empty businesses in your local area have been changed into cake shops. That's my kind of desertification. You don't even go to Thank cake you. shops. Thank you, I'll be here all week. Uh, no, but you, you, that, no, that's not true. That is not true. I want to give a shout out right now to Mimi's Bakehouse uh, in Edinburgh. Because their desserts are insane. They, oh my goodness, like their tray bakes are just on another level. They're so, pretty good and they also have some uh, interesting decor. Yeah, they've they've got some tasteful nudes on, <laughs> on the wall, which I'm all about. But no, I mean, like, I, I enjoy desserts when it is, high end isn't the word, not like overly classy, but like, when it when it's just really scrumptious, when it's really worth it, that's that's what I'm all about. Yeah, or I'll just eat Ben and Jerry's out of a tub. Either one. Not that kind of dessert. <laughs> <laughs> Desertification. Okay. Um. But while some empires were failing, others were emerging as a power to be reckoned with. You may remember our episode on golden ages. We have so many self references in this episode. It's almost. As if we're trying to promote our own podcast. Well, if we don't, who will? <laughs> Go listen to our other episodes, please. Here's another golden age to add to the list. While most countries and empires were struggling to plant crops and dealing with famine and witch burning, a tiny waterlogged country with a ship addiction was rising to prominence. Mm. Is this the part where I guess? No, I mean, it's pretty obvious. I mean, I could see it right there, yeah. <laughs> um, also, how do... <laughs> 
should I preface this by saying not a golden age for everybody? <laughs> golden age for Dutch people, but some of the Dutch people, uh, some of the people that the Dutch interacted with. Sure, it's not the their opposite. golden age. Um... <laughs> but you try explaining that to them <laughs> while you're enslaving them. It's like, you know, <laughs> look, I've just tried to have a golden age, okay? Get with it. Look, I've been such a small little hamlet for so long, it's my turn to shine. And by shine, I mean massacring your people. You know, hashtag treat yourself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, in other countries where they had stripped peasants of the right to use the commons in order to profit, there was and there was still a feudal system, in the Netherlands, there was more culture of social aid and meritocracy. Profit was valued over aristocratic birth, and to that end, many Dutch farmers grew cash crops that they traded for the grain grown along the Baltic, an area far less prone to cold snaps. So basically, instead of growing crops for your feudal lord, there were there was a lot more culture of growing your own crops for profit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and a lot less of whatever noble is in charge gets a huge cut of your profit. Yeah. Um, and so this would essentially lead to the first corporations, right? Yes. So urbanization was much more common in the Netherlands than almost anywhere else in Europe. And a huge part of that was the shipping industry. The changing currents and cooling temperatures that had so devastated the farming industry had the opposite effect here, actually speeding up ships that left for Asia or the Americas from the Dutch Republic. Mm-hmm. So while other places were experiencing this kind of like isolation and like watching all their crops fail, the Dutch had already been buying their crops from outside of the Netherlands because they couldn't grow grain there. And so they already had a head start. But creativity and ingenuity aided them. When their ships were crushed by ice, they fortified the hulls and greased them until they slid off the ice. The mer- <laughs> Sorry, there's just so- something about that image. Uh, I don't know what precisely. <laughs> Is it the greasing? Yeah, uh, just like a bunch of Dutch sailors being like, <laughs> I don't. Oh, we're stuck in the ice. All right, boys, you know what to do. Get out there and get greasy. And a bunch of sailors just ripping their tops off and slathering oil all over themselves before they, like, buff the sides of the ship with their chests. I really wish that we were videoing this episode. I don't. I'm never not. Okay, we're nicely greasy. All right, let's get uh, sliding off this ice. Well, they did that. (laughs) Yep. Um... The merchants also divided their profits among ships and invested in maritime insurance. They stockpiled Baltic grain so that when the Baltic suffered from the cold, they would be able to sell it for a large profit. It is at this time that we see the Dutch emerge as a world power and the creation of the Dutch East India Trading Company, or VOC, a company responsible for, among many things, the burning of Jakarta, the massacre of 15,000 nearby islanders, and selling the rest into slavery. So let's not forget that just because you're smart doesn't mean you're good. But, but, cinnamon and nutmeg, am I right? Pretty damn good. Mmm, yeah. Ladies, it's almost that time. Pumpkin spice latte. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. Couldn't have that without colonization, say, I guess. Thank you, Holland. Um, alright, so that's, uh, neither of us wrote a conclusion. Little Ice Age, deal with it. I mean, I think what our conclusion is, is that 
we can see so many massive changes from just a two degree difference. And while most places didn't deal with it well, you know, we had a lot of untimely deaths and famines and plagues and the fall of empires, we can see that some people are able to profit from it. Yeah. I mean, my my takeaway here is it doesn't get much bigger than the climate, right? The temperature around the, the globe, it affects so many different things. And it has so many, maybe because it happened over a very long period of time as well, but we just see so many offshoots of this mm. uh, cascading throughout time. And it it's strange to think like I you know, I'm I'm genuinely I, I'm I'm genuinely upset about climate change. The, mm -hmm. there's, you know, when I talk about climate change, it's not kind of faux indignation. Um it's horrible that we as a species are where where we are currently. There's a lot of great things that humanity has done for the rest of humanity. There's a lot of shitty things as well, and climate change is one of them. That being said, I'm also on occasion genuinely frightened by climate change. There was a headline just a couple of weeks ago about how the wildfires in Siberia were now bigger than all other wildfires combined. And given how many wildfires we have on an annual basis now, that's really saying something. And this is the start of it, and it is going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. That being said, um, I, I like what you said about people profiting from this and i guess another way of looking at that is not necessarily people profiting but the ingenuity that could potentially come out of this problem right sure hopefully we won't have a two degree difference but unfortunately it seems all but inevitable yeah what we do have are people who are hopefully less likely to burn witches as the cause and more likely to help find solutions to the problem. Yeah, I mean, you would hope that we're, we're kind of beyond ritual sacrifice, although <laughs> who knows, you know, maybe another year of COVID and, and we'll see what happens. But I think what we could see is a lot more of um, fingers being pointed at other groups of people because you're going to see more things like climate refugees. We have people starving to death in Madagascar right now. We talked about it in our insectivorism episode, they're trying to make the switch between eating things like lemurs for protein to eating uh, insects. However, they can't even get clean sources of insect protein at the moment. So we're, we're going to see a lot more climate refugees and all it takes is for them to enter into a country whose economy goes into a bit of a slump, a bit of a downturn in terms of the job market, and then you get some disaffected young people being like, well, everything was better before that group arrived. And, you know, it could get it could get pretty ugly. So if the Little Ice Age taught us nothing else, it's that a lot of things will change in the future and they're impossible to predict. Would you like a weird fact? I sure would. Alright, um, this one really is a bit weird. So, on the subject of, I guess, current climate change and not everyone being on board with the idea that it's happening, you know, up until recently, uh, a lot of people were talking about how we could be entering a new ice age, mm -hmm. and apparently you will still find groups of people talking about 
how we're not entering a period of warming, we're entering a period of cooling. And some of those people, they, they, seem, they seem like interesting types who hang around certain kinds of forums, shall we say. And I actually came across one of these forums where they're talking about hearing, uh, like, sky trumpets, right? And, and like, strange noises. And so they're imploring, like, noises coming from the sky. And they're imploring people to uh, contact them should they hear any. For example, sky, sky trumpets, which could be connected to, like, clandestine government operations, for example. Uh, so I've got a quote from their site. Uh, the next time that you hear any weird sound that you can't immediately identify, please notice us. If it's not natural, human-made, or harmless, it must be the return of Jesus, the work of Satan, or an insidious government conspiracy, the beginning of the New World Order, a message from aliens, a test run of Project Bluebeam, or a mind-control attempt by Harper. Now listen to the latest Sky Trumpets reported around the world. So I really appreciate that it's like it must be and well, then a I, huge massive list of things that it could possibly be. In in fairness, they give you a short list. In fairness, at least they're not like well, if you hear sky trumpets, that's fucking weird. They're like I, The Return of Jesus or Satan. Yeah. One of those two guys. <laughs> so either get psyched or get scared. Uh yeah. So, guys, if you hear any sky tr- trumpets, hit us Don't up at etrhthepod <laughs> at gmail.com. Yes, please get in touch with us because we definitely want to meet you personally. Uh, we would love to meet you. Uh, send us a message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, my uh, fun fact is that the Little Ice Age had a hand in the creation of the bicycle. Okay. So there was a volcanic eruption which led to what was called the year without summer, mm-hmm. um, which obviously made crops difficult. And and the inventor, Carl Dreis, um, he, he invented, among other things, the bicycle and the typewriter. During this year without summer, he had been using horses, of course, to get around, but he wanted something that you wouldn't have to feed since crops were low, ah. and therefore invented the bicycle. Wow. That's... Okay. All right. I thought... I always thought bikes were just kind of invented as, like, a bit of a lark, you know? And I mean, presumably these are the ones where it's literally just, like, two wheels and then a space to park your bum. I think... I don't know if it's like in a he didn't invent like the 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 big um what's the penny farthing? Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um I think he invented like a two-wheeled device. That... So Alicia is showing me something right now and it looks like a couple of wagon wheels with just a a saddle like an old-timey saddle. And uh, then it seems to have a couple of handles on top, which is kind of weird. Wooden steering device. It's all made of wood, obviously. So it looks super comfy. It said the Lauf machine had two. (laughs) I'm just a Lauf machine. (laughs) Two 27 inch wheels placed on a line, an upholstered saddle nailed to the frame, hubs with brass burnishing as and a steering mechanism that turned the front wheel. It had no pedals or brakes. Uh-huh. How <laughs> long 
do you think you would need to ride that before you got incredibly saddle sore? Oh, not long. It's um, like it's minutes. very thin, and it cannot have a lot of cushion. Mm-hmm. But it does remind me of that joke of uh, about two nuns on bikes, which yeah. you can just go ahead and look up. The bicycle weighed forty-five pounds. <laughs> oh, is that is that like heavy by today's standards? I don't. I think, yeah. Yeah. That's like twenty kg. Mind you, when you are starting from a when you're like. I, I want a horse, but not one that I feed. And then you're working down from that. You're like, yeah, that's well, true. I mean, this is a very light horse. And it, it certainly, I keep putting sugar cubes in front of it, but come on. No, I didn't want them. It just doesn't take them. I don't yeah, know why. It's weird. All right, guys. Well, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as my voice finally gives out. Uh, If you've liked the show, please give us a like, give us a follow, and leave a review. This has been Enter the Rabbit Hole, as always, reminding you to... Take climate change seriously. Two degrees can change quite a lot. Two degrees. That's all it takes. Alright, guys. Take care for now. Bye-bye. Ciao. Enter the Rabbit Hole is written and presented by William Grant and Alicia Palmer. The music was created by Glenn Marshall. More information and sources can be found in the episode description. You can email us at etrhthepod at gmail or follow us on Instagram at etrhthepod. Thanks for listening.